I want to start today with two readings. One's going to be from Scripture, and one is going to be from St. Eugene of Montana. That's Eugene Peterson, for those of you who <laughs> don't know him that way, but I know him that way. So the first reading today is going to be um, from 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through to 28, and then we're going to just add a little verse 58 onto it. So if you have your Bibles, please open. Uh, turn with them. Turn with me to them. Um, if you've got it on your phone, open your device up and, and read along. I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. So if you want to set it to have the same words as mine, New Living Translation. I'm going to read a fair bit of the scripture today. Um, it's Resurrection Sunday and this is Paul's chapter on resurrection. So let me now remind you dear brothers and sisters of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it in then and you still stand firm in it. Everybody let's stand. We stand firm in this. It is this good news that saves you. If you continue to believe the message that I told you, unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. So it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message that you've already believed. But tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and our faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all you who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. And just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. 
But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. And after that, the end will come when they will return the kingdom of God uh, over to God and the Father having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For the scriptures say, God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when it says all things are under his authority, that does not include God himself, who gave God his authority. A little side note there from Paul, carrying on. Then when all things are under his authority, the son will put himself under God's authority so that God who gave his son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything everywhere. And I'm just going to skip through because he keeps on going, but to this last verse, it's very important, verse 58. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Reading number two, you can sit down for this one. Much shorter. From his book, Practice Resurrection, Eugene Peterson says this, a church is a group of named people gathered in a certain place practicing the resurrection in a land where death gets the greatest headlines. Selah. Today's talk is the final thoughts of an Easter series that we've been doing called God and the Chaos. It's called Resurrection and the Chaos. That's today's talk. We've spent the last three weeks exploring different revelations of God's character uh, as revealed through Christ in the Easter story. So the first week we looked at the victorious lamb, then we looked at the suffering servant, then last week Vivek took us through the Prince of Peace. Today it is Resurrection Sunday. And so of course, we're thinking of Christ as the resurrected one. So by doing this, I wanted to take us to this large text by Paul. We only actually read half of it. There's another half to go. It's this grand sweep of what has happened in Christ being told and its implication being explained. So we've just heard about half of Paul's exhaustive comments on the resurrection. And they come as a clear reminder to the Corinthians near the end of this letter. He wants to remind them of the story that they are in. He gives a clear presentation of the gospel. Did you hear it? The life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And then he proceeds to double down on the importance of this Easter event, this climactic ending, the resurrection. Paul raised important cause and effect questions in there. Did you hear him as he said, you know, hey, if there is no resurrection, then this thing is actually completely void. That's pretty bold. He says, if Christ did not rise, the entire message is useless. There cannot be a claim of renewal and reorder if there is no king. This shows us who the king is. And Paul's argument here is that this king is our archetype. What Christ did, we will do. In his rising, so we too will rise. This is the Christian hope on display. New life after death. And in speaking on Christ's resurrection, Paul is speaking here of the greatest of God's renewal work. His work of 
making all things new. It has been signed, it has been sealed, it has been delivered through Christ and his resurrection. The resurrection is this turning point of God's project of making all things new. And it's this newness amongst the chaos of today that I want to speak about. As Eugene Peterson had put it, we are the church and so we are the people who live the resurrection amongst a world where death gets the greatest headlines. We've just prayed about some of those headlines today. And there's plenty more, isn't there? Our world is certainly full of enough death headlines. But we are the people of a resurrection. So we are the people on this mission of renewal. Any fans of the repair shop? Hit it, Dave. Welcome to the repair shop, where much-loved but broken treasures... This is amazing. It is absolutely brilliant. ...are brought back to life. Welcome to my universe. It's pretty marvellous. Furniture restorer Jay Blades. It's so nice that we can be part of that kind of history to just keep things going. And a dream team of some of the country's most skilled craftspeople. I'm having a lot of fun, and I'm really liking the end result. Sounds like teamwork. Bring their talents to bear on beloved pieces of family history. Look at that. I'm liking what I see. Yes. Just look. Your beauty. Utilising expertise passed down the generations. I'm going to teach you how to do with your fashion. All right. Transforming priceless pieces of family history. Oh, my goodness me. The repair shop team will resurrect the items. Oh, gosh. The memories. I'm going to have to hug you. And the stories behind them. Oh, look at that. Oh, thank you so much. Can't see it because of the tears in my eyes. <laughs> This is a very emotional job, but incredibly worthwhile. What a feel-good show. Did you hear the little mission statement in there from the voiceover? The repair shop where much-loved but broken treasures are brought back to life. I even heard near the end there the word resurrection. Did you hear that? Some of you are nodding at me. You're like, I can see where this is going. I know what you're doing here, Dan. Um, you know, if you haven't seen The Repair Shop, which you've got to watch an episode or two because it is tearjerkerville, people bring all kinds of old treasures in. And this crack squad of artisans, uh, they, they fix these tired and worn out old things. They sew up the rips, they repair tired wooden furniture, they restore leather, they, they take the tired teddy bear and they make it like new. These artisans are on a mission. They want to help people not throw away their stuff. Instead, they want to repair and to reuse. And in watching the repair shop, what we actually see is a big difference here between thinking about things of discarding them and, and replacing them or to take that thing and to lovingly renew it. You know, there's a very big difference between discarding and replacing something and restoring and renewing it. You know, our fashion industry is telling us this at the moment. Stop with the fast fashion. Stop with what this is doing to the planet. Stop with what this is doing to your consumerism. Instead, buy something of quality, buy less. It will last longer. Take it to be fixed. 
Get your nice leather boots resold rather than just buying heaps of crappy cheap pairs of leather boots. It's the difference between discarding and replacing or restoring and renewing. Our artisans are making proper leather items and proper cast iron stuff so that we don't buy cheap rubbish, but instead we buy something that will last a lifetime. And if it starts to wear out, it's repairable. And somewhere along the line, the church has started to believe that God was doing the former, not the latter. But I want to be very clear today. It's Resurrection Sunday. God is not discarding and replacing creation off somewhere else. And I can say that because of the resurrection of Jesus. This is the moment when instead God shows clearly and biblically what His plan is. He is committed to the latter. He is restoring and renewing this creation. Can I have an amen? Ah, oh, I miss you for 35 weeks. You can do better than that. Can I have an amen? amen? Isaiah prophesied it. Jesus spoke of it. He modeled a ministry of it. Revelation ends with it. The Lord is bringing this earth back to rights by renewing it. His project is that he's making all things new. A new heavens, a new earth together as one. A renewed creation and us as renewed people. Ah, As we've heard from 1 Corinthians 15 today, resurrection life is this ultimate renewed life. Resurrection is the ending of this groaning, tired, broken and weary. And instead, a new thing bursting forth. It's the end goal of the Christian life. So today we must set resurrection at the end of the telos, at the end goal. We must place it at the end of the story. And as we look at that end goal, we let it tell us how we should be today. Those who participate in renewal. The theologian George Ladd frames this up for us by saying this, the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. It is the inbreaking presence of the future, the future picture, the talos coming into today. And so as people of God's kingdom, we have that end goal. We can participate in that resurrected, renewed future in glimpses today, now, experiencing the work of the repair shop. As the repair shop, Jesus and his kingdom brings new things of renewal and life into us, brings new life into our church. So who needs this resurrection, this restorative renewal work this Easter Sunday? Because I know I do. The world needs this renewal. Stories of war, abuse of power and position, systems that are still not right, still not producing the right results in our societies. The poor, the marginalized are still poor. They're still marginalized. Death and decay is still eating at our societies. It's still chomping its way through our news feeds. The church needs it. Oh my goodness, the church needs it. Amongst stories of scandal, amongst stories of uh, immorality, amongst leaders, 
amongst news reports of abuse and of greed, amongst a discipleship crisis that has come out fully exposed over the last two years. The church has not been making disciples. It has been making consumers. It's come to the surface. We need renewal in this. And we need this newness. We need it to heal our insecurities and our brokenness. We need it to heal us, our health struggles and our bodies and our pains. We need it to, to mend our greeds and our selfish ways. We need it so that we can stop building the kingdom of self and instead build the kingdom of God. Our abandoning of relationships, our misuse of love. We need renewal. We need to recover this hope of the new life that is central to the gospel that Paul just wrote to us about. And that is why we must listen to Paul as he tries to place the Corinthians correctly in the story. It's amongst the chaos, but with a different posture. He's doing this by using something very clever and very, it's very good theology. He's using history and he's using eschatology. He's saying this is what Christ has done when we turn around. And this is what is coming as we look to the future. Eschatology just means how we think about the future. So you all have one. You all have an eschatology. Everyone has an eschatology. You all have what you think about the future. It's not just for super theologians. And what Paul is doing, he's saying, this is the end goal. This is the telos, the eschatology of the church. And so what he's doing here is he's leaning us into this cause and effect of both. What the effect of that cause is to come to us now. And he's telling the people of Corinthians, hey, this is how you need to be the people of the now and the not yet. He's telling them, hold the tension. Be amongst the chaos, but be the people of the resurrection. Be both and kinds of people. Because good theology always holds the tension. Always. It always holds us in the place of both of those places pulling on us. And so I want to do that for us today. I want to remind us today on Resurrection Sunday of who we are and the place in the story that we have. Here is the biblical arc of the entire scriptures summarized in six C's. It's very deep. It's very easy to remember. It goes like this. Creation, cracked, covenant, Christ, church, consummation. If you start reading in Genesis 1, you're going to read about the creator who creates. If you get to Genesis 3, you're going to read about sin cracking his perfect creation, disrupting the shalom, removing this beautiful intimacy of God where all things are right. And now we have sin rearing its ugly head. We have selfishness. The building of the kingdom of self has been introduced. And immediately God starts making a covenant with people to renew them and bring them back to him. Immediately he starts a renewal project and off the scriptures go. Off we go as we read about Abraham, as we read about Israel, as we read about the people of God stumbling their way around trying to figure this stuff out. The people of the covenant, you're meant to be blessed to be a blessing to the world. I'm blessing you, bless others. This is the covenant, I'm loving you, show that to the world. And eventually that's just not working enough. And so the Messiah, Christ has to come. This Christ who we celebrate every Christmas, the arrival of God incarnate, comes and shows us what covenant really looks like and the embodiment of who he is and the ministry that he displays to all those around him. It's beautiful. But then the ultimate act is that he dies on a cross to fulfill the suffering servant of Isaiah. And he brings about this Passover lamb nature into his ministry. 
where he welcomes all and he mends the cracks. And then he tells his church to go and do what he has been doing. Go continue to be his hands and feet. Go continue his ministry. And wait for, as we've heard from 1 Corinthians 15, this final consummation when all things will be made right, when all things will be complete, when all things will be new. Will there be no more suffering or tears or need for those things because all things will be at one and in shalom again. Now, Paul, his words today remind us of our place. We are, oh no, we are here. Next click, please work for me. Yes, I've got another video to show you, so I really don't want it to fall off, the, the, the projection. All right, we are here. And so I want you to remember this phrase. If we are there, then we are everything that's gone before us, waiting for the thing in front of us. So here's who we are, church. We are the created but cracked covenant with Christ people awaiting this future beautiful work to come in. I don't know about you, but I feel pretty cracked. But I also, through Christ, feel like I'm being made whole as I await what He is doing. That's who we are. We're in covenant with God. We're in covenant with Him. And He's mending our cracks. He's doing a beautiful work in us and He will bring it to completion, says the Scriptures. Christ who is doing this good work in you, He will see it through. He's making you new. That's the kind of church I think we dream of Central Vineyard becoming. A church who steps into that space wholeheartedly and fully. And then if we do that, we become otherworldly people while here in this world. While here in Tamaki Makoto, we become people of another space. And remember, renewal is the key to all of this. That was the thing running through that whole arc. So if we're people of renewal amongst the chaos of our world, we start to live a different way. We start to live different things. We practice different things. We make a different noise. I want to show you a different noise amongst the chaos. You might have seen this this week. It's a little viral video that's going around. Dave, hit it. Bye bye.
become the people who sing the song of new creation amongst the chaos and the brokenness. That was a video of a Ukrainian woman playing her piano in her home. She played that piece by Chopin. And the tips of her hands on the piano keys was this thing of beauty. Yet as the camera showed, there's another story going on around her. All around her was the carnage of bombing and the destruction of war. She was playing this beautiful piece of music amongst the chaos. So what I'm trying to help us see today is that as the people of the kingdom of God, we become like her. We become people playing a different song, a song of resurrection, while amongst the brokenness. We become the people seated at the piano. We all can play a song right where we are. And our song is the sound of resurrection and renewal. So in closing, how do we play that song? How can you play that this afternoon? How can you play that tomorrow? I want to just finish with a couple of thoughts from a Eugene Peterson book. Because as we all say, uh, it wouldn't be a sermon by Dan if he doesn't quote Eugene Peterson. So... This is a different book to the one at the start. The start was Practice Resurrection. That's his Ephesians commentary. This is Living the Resurrection. It's a lot smaller. It's a different book. Okay? He's got two books with the word resurrection in them. Don't buy the wrong one. But I encourage buying this one. Living the Resurrection. The Risen Christ in Everyday Life. And if you aren't a person who's going to buy that book and read it, I want to give you the three best bits out of it right now. St. Eugene of Montana offers three practices that we can do to experience the risen Christ in our everyday lives. And here they are. We can practice resurrection wonder. That's the first practice. How do you practice that? You have a Sabbath. You take a day to rest and to stop and to delight and to worship. You practice resurrection wonder by literally taking your calendar and restructuring it so that there is a day in your seven-day rotation of a week where you literally place yourself into the being with God rather than the working. You place your life into this standing in wonder and delight. Second point, he says, is that you practice resurrection meals. Our meal of the church is the Eucharist, the communion table, But you can actually turn every meal into a resurrection meal. In fact, that's what it was. And so maybe if you wanted to try practicing resurrection, if you want to try playing a different song at the piano for a while, how about this? Each time you you take a meal this week, you just say something like this, God, thank you that you have provided new life for me. Thank you that you call me to walk something different. Thank you that you nourish me. Just like this meal nourishes me, you nourish me. Amen. Practice something with that meal. We're going to take this together as a church in a few moments, but you could turn your dinner table into a space of resurrection. And lastly, we practice resurrection in our friendships. We have a community and we, we know others. They know us. We know them. And we go on this journey of newness together. These practices help us to practice a life of newness. 
They seat us at the piano. They're not the only ones. They're just the ones that Eugene writes about in that book. But they make a space for us to play the music, to learn the song. And so this Easter, this Resurrection Sunday, how will you practice playing your resurrection song amongst the chaos? Do you have a day this week? Maybe it's today. Will you stop? delight, rest, and worship? Do you have meals ahead of you that you could reposture into being celebrations of God's presence with you? Do you have friends to whom you are known and they are known to you that could join you in this newness? Do you have friends who are praying with you? Do you have friends who are laughing with you? Do you have friends who you can richly live this experience with together? Uh, just several weeks ago, I went away with a small group of pastoral friends. We uh, went away on a little retreat together. It was just six of us very close friends. And we sat out on the veranda of the house that we'd hired for a couple of days. And I have a couple of very funny friends. And they were just make us laugh so much that my sides hurt and I had tears falling down my face and I'd have to get up and like leave the veranda and go walk around on the lawn because I couldn't catch my breath. And I just found myself thinking, God, this is a form of repentance for me right now. I've been so tight and serious for two years and it's almost like in that outburst of laughter with friends, a resurrection was happening and a joy was starting to bubble back up in me. As I cried with laughter, resurrection was bursting in. And with those same friends, a few hours later after dinner, we would be praying for each other, asking for God to move, speaking into each other's life. Laughter and prayer are two beautiful things of friendship. I'd encourage you to find them. So it's a taste of the kingdom. It's a taste of the future. It's a taste of renewal. This Easter Sunday, a benediction for you this Resurrection Sunday today. May you hear and know what Christ has done. He is risen. May you live your future hope of renewal and resurrection a little more this week. May you live in the resurrection amongst your own chaos. May you sit at the piano and may you play the song. May your life sing the song of renewal in a world where death is currently getting the greatest headlines.